Ah, yes, friends, on a Monday, it's OGP, the One Giant Podcast, where I am Adam Armbrecht, also covering the Brooklyn Nets on the Locked On Nets Podcast. Over there, you're going to find the healthy, wealthy, and wise season generational ticket holder for the New York Football Giants, Andy Makowitz. How are we, sir? Adam, it's it's March Madness, which you know, I'm a big college basketball fan. I mean, every year there's at least one team that makes a run that you're like, who or what? It just so happens this year it's St. Peter's, right? Jersey City. You know, Jer- Jersey City raised up, right? It, it, it's exciting. The best part about it was um, they beat both Kentucky and Murray State back-to-back to go to the Sweet 16. And the uh, St. Peter's Twitter, Adam, they basically put a picture of the state of Kentucky, and it said St. Peter's owned now because Ooh. Murray State is in Kentucky. God, how do you not like March Madness? Like the, I know that you're a big NBA guy with the Nets, but but the excitement of like the one game, like anything can happen, David versus Goliath, is exciting in its own right. No, for listen, everyone's brackets got busted. That was important for me. I think that made it that made it exciting <laughs> for me from that standpoint. I both I see I love it and I also I like I enjoy it. I can get behind it. And I also think it's like this weird, so are these teams good? Are you know, are the Kentuckys and Dukes of the world bad? Shouldn't they just be plus, you know? totally destroying these teams it is a cinderella story there's also by the way i will say this the madness of it all so good job uh, on the ncaa from that standpoint but there are too many games going on simultaneously oh, to no. be able to fully Wrong enjoy take. it that that is a problem because Wrong there's take. no way how many people outside of jersey city or kentucky were watching live the st peter's game maybe you got the alert you said oh my god it looks like you know something's happening here and you turn over but you're not going to start with that game because there's too many other interesting, you know, in between matchups there that you think could be first round upsets. So you're almost going, I'll check in with Kentucky second round, see what happens with them. Cut two. But you got so I I think that's a bad take, but that's because March Madness is like my Super Bowl. I've I've okay, okay, okay. March Madness. Let's not, let's not get in the weeds here. I don't what, know what, what I will say is, Adam. They have the tickers across the top showing all the other games that are going on. I if it's it. within like a five point game, there's five minutes left. You're like, I want to tune into that game. But anyways, yeah, St. Peter's. It looks like there's guys on there that are going to be your accountant or like sure. the guy that that like will be valeting <laughs> your car because I know you're bougie like that, Adam. And then you have Kentucky that has all five-star recruits, like, you know, going to be first-round draft picks. It's just awesome. And as you can tell, the spring is, is has sprung. It's getting nice outside. Like, there's nothing but excitement o- over the past weekend. That's it, man. And it's great because there is obviously a lull as far as the season, NBA, winding down, heading towards playoffs, et cetera. So, listen, March Madness. Enjoy it, kids. It's good for the whole family. The bottom line is, though, as we talk about some of the New York football giants, we're going to get in on a couple of transactions around the roster, going to take a look at what it could mean for the draft upcoming, and then a little bit of how it ties into the giants when it comes to next month's draft. Some of the incredible just ping-ponging, bouncing, swirling changes that have come across the NFL, which even during March Madness, the NFL still manages to dominate headlines, the headlines from a day-to-day basis. So let's start in on the giants. Just a quick, uh, not really quick, actually. I, want to take a, I do want to take a minute on this. I don't want to skirt past it the Giants signed veteran running back Matt Breida he obviously started his NFL career undrafted with the 49ers was on the Buffalo Bills last year just 26 carries across that dominant season that he had there uh what is your take on the Giants bringing in someone with obviously familiarity and ties to Buffalo and Dable but uh as far as how is it projects for what the Giants are going to do here at the position overall yeah, well, I, I think this is a another solid signing. I, I don't think um, it's too earth-shattering. He obviously has familiarity with Brian Dable from I mean, his short stint in Buffalo. He actually surged and had a couple touchdowns and started looking like he was going to wrestle away the number two job 
um, uh, not from Zach Moss, but Devin Singletary in, yeah. in Buffalo. Ultimately, for the playoffs and their run, they decided to deactivate Brita, didn't really get the reps that they wanted, wanted to go younger with, with, with Singletary. To me, this is very similar to the Corey Clement signing. Uh, you know, bring another veteran in camp. Let's see if he's got fresh legs. Let's see if he pushes a potential, you know, later round running back draft pick in the draft. And then let's see what our, our room looks like between Saquon Barkley, Brita, Antonio Williams, and player to be named later throughout the draft. 27 years old is Brita. He has a 4.9 yards per carry average over his 64 career games. Also has 83 receptions in his career for a very impressive 78% catch rate. You know, small sample size, you can argue, but he's obviously been solid, not spectacular. I'm going to go the other direction, with not, not the other direction, so to speak, but uh, uh, this means something to me. Like you said, bringing in bodies. This is, though, unlike, say, last year when you brought in Booker and said, we're just looking for a healthy body in case Saquon Barkley is going to struggle here out of the gates. I think that the Giants are trying to stockpile options. They signed Williams, obviously, off of the Buffalo Bills as well. They still have Brightwell for the time being. See if that ends up playing out through the offseason and then looking into the draft. I think that the Giants are preparing for the inevitable trade of Saquon Barkley. And, you know, you're you're not looking at any of these guys and saying there's the future of the position. But you can be looking at one or two of them and saying, there is the veteran experienced NFL player that has familiarity with our system in the case of Brita, who can be there for a rookie running back that we're going to draft to bring in to have on a cheaper number, obviously, and to replace effectively Saquon Barkley. We've said this before about Bradbury. We're saying it about Saquon Barkley, or at least I am. It's the market, right? What do the Giants want? What are they willing to let them go for? And then seeing how these free agent periods and leading towards the draft pan out and even the beginning of the draft. When all of a sudden you're there in the third or fourth round in a team that missed out on a running back or feels like they are just a running back away, you're going to get a call. And I think that, that Joe Shane and the Giants are going to take a third or possibly even a fourth round for, for Saquon Barkley because it's about getting the assets. It's about turning over the money. It's about turning over this roster and looking towards the future. So I, I just think that a guy like Brita, at least you know, is he going to be an all-pro? No. But can he come in like Booker did last year for this Giants team and be like, listen, I can carry the ball. I can run the system. I can catch passes out of the backfield. I think that that's what this is indicative of for Big Blue. Well, listen, uh, you and I uh, tend to slightly disagree on on what we think the Giants are going to do directionally with Saquon. I think he is. Um, he's he's uh, Joe Shane and Dable look at him as as a valuable enough asset where they want to keep him for, for the time being, um, you know. It it will be very interesting. I, you might I look say at this, they look at him as a valuable enough asset that they want to trade for the right amount, right? Right. Well, that that's I know where where directionally you want them to go, Adam. But I, I think that uh, this to me this signing doesn't really do anything uh, for Saquon. It's not like someone's pushing him for number one duties. If you were to trade Saquon, you'd still have to go get a running back anyway. So yeah. like for for me, I, I still think there's a lot of question marks. This doesn't. Uh, this, this doesn't put Saquon one foot closer out the door than he was yesterday, so to speak. I, I Well, I'll, I think it prepares for the possibility of it better, right? You feel better now. If they, if they ended up trading Barkley, you'd feel better that you had Brita, right, than if you didn't have him on the roster. So sure, but, least, but right. I mean, I mean, Mar Marlon Mack is a free agent. There's a million yeah. free agent running backs that you Actually, could pay. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, you could pay a million bucks or, or two million bucks too, to, 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 to step in and, and, you know, take a featured role. So like for me, I, you know, I, I don't, I, for me personally, I don't think it says too much about Saquon, but I can understand that anyone that wants Saquon Barkley traded, anytime we bring in a running back, you're like, Hey, we're building the room. They like Antonio Williams. They've got Matt Brito. We could take one of our fifth round picks and, and take a flyer on somebody. And all of a sudden we've revamped our entire running back room. 
isn't the question too, because we'll move off it here in a second, isn't the question we say coming from Buffalo, right? We were like, well, you never really had like an elite number one running back there, right? It was Singletary and then you had Moss and you're bouncing these players around, but never the true, you know, not not a guy that you considered walking in the door as the elite. This is going to be an electric player, you know, wasn't taking Najee Harris in the first round like the Steelers did or taking a running back second overall as the New York football giants did. But it's interesting to think like, so did the do do Joe Shane, the former assistant GM, and Dable, the former offensive coordinator, did they look at that as this is a smart way that we can build it? Or as, boy, if we had just gone and gotten an elite running back, that could have made the difference for us, right? Like philosophically, if they agreed coming out of there, then you'd say, oh, we'll look at the second and third rounds. We, I mentioned the other episode, Kenneth uh, Walker out of Michigan State. There's been some rumblings. The Giants were at the Georgia Pro Day, really love Cooks, you know, where that could fall. Or they, they say second, third round, yes. Or do they feel like, no, 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 no. You need to have that proven elite commodity. Well, if anything, we'll tell you, it's it's look at previous history. In 2019, they drafted a, a running back in the third round. Um, that was Devin Singletary. And then mm-hmm. they weren't impressed with what Devin Singletary was doing. And the next season, in the third round in the 2020 draft, they went and got Zach Moss. So they've invested two third round picks back to back. They may say, this is the way we want to build the roster. Or they may say, it hasn't really worked out the way we wanted to. Maybe we need to do more to address our running back room. And with some reports that they really do love uh, Cooks coming out of Georgia, as I said, was at that pro day. He's in that, you know, is it, how high will he go? 81-112, right? Could the Giants have a viable chance to go get him in those range? It's all going to depend to, which we'll get into in a second, how the draft plays out at the top. The other quick footnotes here uh, from the New York football giants are they restructured good. No. So they brought his number down a little bit. You got to like that because um, he, he's been solid for the giants. And I think you'd rather just have that box checked. We'll see what happens when it comes uh, to the other side of the special teams room. Good note there. And then another additional note, free agent. I think once the, the turnover came with this, with the regime, I had said, if there's a world you could bring this player back, I wouldn't hate it. I, I liked him wasn't surprised that he's not going to be returning. And that's Lorenzo Carter, uh, who's going to be signing with the Atlanta Falcons on a one-year deal. It seemed inevitable when you look at the room. They brought in Quincy Roche last year, even though it's the previous staff. You still think you want to get a look at him and Cam Brown, Aziz Ojolari. You know they're going to add more bodies to this edge-rushing linebacking core, restructured to retain Blake Martinez. This this just this almost feels as slight of a footnote as anything, right? I, because... I liked Carter, but if you had given me one of probably 30 other linebackers or edge rushers from around the league over the last four years, I might have also said, yeah, I like this guy because he's been in the room, right? And I think familiarity maybe brings a little bit more of an elevation around your opinion of him. Well, familiarity is the reason why the Giants ended up losing out on him because Lorenzo Carter is from, you know, he grew up in, uh, he was born in Tennessee, but went to high school in Georgia was a you know five-star recruit basically at, you know went to the University of Georgia really considers Georgia as home so when when he signed here it was not a very surprising signing what was surprising is the Giants did make a run at re-signing Lorenzo yep. Carter um you know they tried him on a one-year deal they were trying to say come back let's see if we could you know get get your market value back up um but you know Atlanta put a bigger offer on the table than the Giants could afford and that's because they're so strapped for cash that they couldn't even up at a million or two to try to see if they could compete with it but Ultimately, I think Lorenzo signing with there tough, you know, what was it four or five sacks in the last four games for Lorenzo yeah. Carter? He really started coming into his own. I would not be shocked if he has eight or nine sacks for an Atlanta team next year. And all of a sudden everyone says, why did this guy, you know, leave the building? 
it's just tough when we're cash strapped. You can't go out and overpay guys who have underperformed on one year deals. Yeah, and like to your point, right? It, it, the Giants may have said, "Listen, we'd like to have you back on the one, and then we can revisit it next off season, right?" But if at that point, if you're Lorenzo Cardi, you go, "Well, I can make a little more short term, and I can go back to what feels like home for me and be comfortable." That, that is a part of it. Again, 100, percent right? I, I've said this, said this about Evan Ingram. I'm not going to be shocked if he goes and has a good year in Jacksonville. Now, Giants fans were fairly out on him, but you know, turn around next offseason and go, why didn't the Giants look to retain him? Whatever. It's going to be the same thing. There could be talent. It comes down to can we afford him? Where are the other positions of need? And we know how strapped the Giants have been here. So that being the case, though, Lorenzo Carter off to Hotlanta, where, interestingly enough, as we think about the, the upcoming draft, it's kind of all ties in here. With the Giants, are they going to end up trading Saquon Barkley? Are they going to end up trading James Bradbury? How is it going to impact what they do at the top of the draft? There's been so much going on starting in Atlanta in the last handful of days that this has created a bit of a whirlwind. And I think it's hard now to pinpoint where teams are going to go in the draft because so much has changed now in the last week and a half when you count in free agency as well. Yeah, so let's let's just give the 30-second recap just in case everyone's confused on why, like where everyone's gone or what everyone's been doing. The Houston Texans traded Deshaun Watson to the Cleveland Browns for three first-round picks and you know, sure. a, a bunch of different items. Then, in corresponding moves, you have the, the Colts who have traded Carson Wentz to the Commanders in Washington. And now the Colts have an opening, and you're like, oh, maybe B- Baker Mayfield will go there. Nope. What ends up happening is... One of the teams that was in on Deshaun Watson, the Atlanta Falcons, is now trading Matt Ryan to the Colts for a third-round draft pick, filling that void. You may say, oh, well, that means Atlanta probably has it as an opening now. Well, it sounds like Marcus Mariota is coming in for a visit, potentially you know, kind of a stopgap year type of quarterback, has familiar, familiarity with their head coach, Arthur Smith. All of this is moving around, and there's a bunch of musical chairs going on right now, Adam. But what's interesting is number one former overall pick Baker Mayfield is kind of being left out in the dust. And there aren't that many teams that are really left for his services. You may say the saints are, are potential, but they seem to like Jameis Winston. You may say the Carolina Panthers, they were really in on Deshaun. Do they really, you know, are, are they, are they thinking that he's an upgrade over Deshaun or, 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 or uh, Sam Darnold or other mm-hmm. people that they have in the building and Seattle saying that they like drew lock. So, what, what's your high-level thoughts about just Baker Mayfield? You know, there's there's already rumblings. Um, <clears throat> Nick Wright on on uh, Fox Sports came out yesterday and said, yeah. the number one team that should be looking for Baker Mayfield, the New York Giants. Does what that mean anything a, to you? You know. Well, that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is, uh, listen, well, the, the initial high-level thought is Baker, unfortunately, and the, listen, you can, whatever you think he is or isn't, right? Last year is a bad year for him to be coming off of. The season prior would have been the perfect year to be in these waters here because his stock was certainly higher two seasons ago than it was coming off of his performance. We know the injury, et cetera. I think the timing of all of this really hurt for Baker Mayfield, right? Because there's a lot of teams out there. Now you're talking about being in division, but the Steelers end up signing Mitchell Trubisky. We know the giants were possibly in on him. All these musical chairs of where even the commanders, I think the commanders would have much rather put in a phone call to Cleveland and say, Hey, what are you looking for, for Baker Mayfield, as opposed to sending significant capital, as we're all still confused by to the Colts to get Carson Wentz, right? So a lot of boxes got checked here, even Denver, you know, who knows what would have happened there if it wasn't a fait accompli that you were going to be getting Russell Wilson, right? All of these mechanics are happening. Seattle as well. I'm, I'm shocked by Seattle that they're going to say that they love 
uh, Drew Locke. Doesn't mean they should like Baker Mayfield, but so many chairs have gotten filled or had gotten filled before this played out with Deshaun Watson. I think Baker Mayfield stock really plummeted. And you can even see that inside of the building where they refused to honor his trade request. The Cleveland Browns did thinking they weren't sure they were going to be able to be in on Watson. Then they get him and they're like, "Ah, eh, well, you know, why don't we go ahead and see what's possible here? So circumstances, I think, hurt Baker. And then, I mean, from a high level, you want to talk about Nick Wright and saying the Giants again, timing of this is a little bit different as it stands right now. The giant, well, I, I'm going to, let's just put it at brass tacks. Baker Mayfield is making $18 million right now to this, in this, um, in this incoming season. Really hard right now in this moment to say the New York football giants should be in on an $18 million quarterback coming off of just his rookie contract, but also someone that I think falls into this pot of, yeah, he's okay. Is that really where the giants are as a franchise that they want to bring in an $18 million huh, entering into the final? He's looking for a new contract. What, you know, I, I don't understand how Nick Wright drew that immediate connection that the giants should be all in on Baker. Well, his his argument is that Daniel Jones is like the worst starting quarterback in the league. So you 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 got to start at that starting point where he says, "Nope, he's not the guy. They need to clearly move off of him." Okay. Well, then the, the scenario I would have painted in this picture would be because right now Daniel Jones, if they were to trade him, you're talking about basically even money, four million dead, four million in cap space. If this was happening again a few weeks ago, you could make the case. Listen, you want to drop Daniel Jones and you want to take a flyer on Baker Mayfield? Sure. But again, if you're Joe Shane and, and Dable, aren't you probably looking at Daniel Jones and Baker Mayfield maybe in the same basket-ish of like, yeah, two young quarterbacks, maybe victims of circumstance, so to speak, are either one of them more viable than the other? Why Why go spend what would be adding $14 million, right onto the, onto the cap room to take a look at this player? Even if the draft compensation of moving Daniel Jones on to say somewhere like New Orleans or, you know, bringing in Baker Mayfield, let's just say it was like a fifth round pick for each of them. <clears throat> even if it was all equal, are we really even sure that Baker Mayfield is that much better than Daniel Jones? And the second piece of it is, are we even sure that Baker Mayfield would be better suited for Brian Dayball's offensive system? Sure. Think about the type of player Josh Allen is, you know, bigger more athletic, can run, you know, throws a beautiful deep ball. Baker Mayfield is much, much smaller than Daniel Jones. Baker Mayfield is not as athletic as Daniel Jones. I I think that that's an easy one to be able to say. Also, Daniel Jones is more accurate throwing the deep ball than Baker Mayfield is. You know, they have roughly the same quarterback uh, rate, you know, passer ratings, mm -hmm. or, or you know, throughout their career. I'm not convinced that they would look at Baker Mayfield and say, we want a shorter less athletic, more inaccurate quarterback, and hopefully he's better than whatever Daniel Jones could be. Well, so and it's funny, too, because I actually think one, I think that Nick Wright is wrong in, in this instance, and I think it actually it, it should be telling about how Giants fans should be feeling about Daniel Jones. Like, it's to your point. You wouldn't want Baker Mayfield. Why do you want Daniel Jones? It's all relative. Now, for the price point and what you're paying, and he's already in the building, that's why you keep Daniel Jones around. You give him, a, you know, you give him a fair shake last look. But there's no reason to go out and bring in a fair shake last look at a higher price point and at the cost of an asset, right? That's what I don't understand. The only part that I would agree on, and whether or not Nick said it, but you mentioned it, if you could trade Daniel Jones, I would trade Daniel Jones. And I would let Tyrod Taylor go into the season, and maybe you want to bring in another young quarterback in the draft at some point, whatever it may be, right? You can, you can paint that picture for me. But this idea that the Giants should be in on Baker Mayfield, again, 
who's going to want to get a contract. It's literally bringing in another version of what you're currently dealing with in-house. And I think you're you're correct too. From a skill set standpoint, Daniel Jones at least looks like he's more in line with what they're going to want to do offensively. Why would you go spend more money on someone that you don't even know if actually fits to what you want to accomplish? Well, to your point, it, it's way less likely that the Giants are even interested in Baker Mayfield. You talked about uh, potentially trading Daniel Jones. That's where, Adam, the draft comes into this a little bit, oh, right? Yes. Like this this will impact the draft plans for the Giants. Now, a lot of people are saying they're at five and seven. There are reports saying that, you know, I think Peter King reported that they should be trading back uh, at, at least once in the first round to accumulate more draft assets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in your scenario, trading J- Daniel Jones regardless um, would open us up to be able to to look at a quarterback. You, you mentioned Tyrod Taylor being a bridge, but talk to me a little bit about trade back scenarios uh, for the giants, knowing that they have two top 10 picks. Yeah, this is where I was curious to get your opinion on it because Peter King, as you said, he came out and said, and again, I, I've been saying this on the podcast, like going forward, this is about the short and long term, and you don't want to end up in the Chicago Bears scenario next draft where you trade up to go get your quarterback and you leave yourself with no first round picks in the following draft. So that's like, that's the one, that's the number one reason why trading back might make sense. Pick up a future asset. Okay. But then inside of this draft, like you and I have talked about, if it's if it's a Quanu, if it's Neil we'll take them at the top of the draft. But if it's cross, I might pause a little bit. I think there's these scenarios. So to me, if when the first four picks come off the board, one of those two top tackles aren't there. And you actually had a really good, uh, you sent me a text the other day about where offensive linemen have been taken over the course of drafts. But if those two tackles aren't there, I think you should, one of two things, if you believe in Sauce Gardner, if you've traded James Bradbury, I think you can take him at five to make sure that you get him. Or, You put that on the block. Who wants to come up to get ahead of Carolina? Who likes one of these quarterbacks? Who likes one of these players? Maybe it avoids taking the safety out of Notre Dame so you don't have to worry about the Giants getting him. Trade back. You can still be in the first round somewhere. The Saints have been in that picture there, certainly somewhere in the teens, potentially, and get yourself the extra draft capital and the extra second or third round picks, even in this year's draft, which gives you flexibility if you're going to maybe replace a Saquon Barkley. If you can get your tackle at, at five, about 60% of the time, Sauce Gardner isn't there at seven anymore because another team wants him. Could be Carolina, could be a trade scenario. Now at that point, I think the only the only scenario in this moment that I really believe in is if you can get one of those two tackles at five and Sauce Gardner at seven, stay at home, take them, you love them, move on. Any other version of it, I think the Giants need to be ready and willing to trade down to get themselves assets this year and next year and you can continue to fill things out in the second, third, and fourth rounds of this draft class. But And then that includes, by the way, I, I'm a big fan of Walker. I don't think you have to stay committed on him. There's a number of talented edge rushers at the back end of the first and into the second round that they could pursue. Yeah. So as you mentioned, people keep talking about offensive linemen. You're like, oh, we don't need to draft an offensive lineman in the first round. And that, and like, I think people just have this weird stigma that offensive linemen can be found anywhere just because like Trey Smith randomly falls to the chiefs in the sixth round and becomes an immediate starter. Like that doesn't happen. Offensive tackles starting that are like starting level don't grow on trees. And 80% of all of the left tackles or all of the tackles that are starting in the league were drafted in the first two or three rounds of the entire draft. So we need to address the offensive tackle position. And I do believe to your point that if, Iquanu is there or Neil is there. The Giants really have no choice but to go ahead and draft them. Like they have to shore up the offensive line. 
I think at seven, you make, you do make a good point. There are plenty of edge rushers, but again, if you really like one of these guys and they, and it ends up hitting, then you look like a hero. Now, you know, trading back gives you more lotto tickets later on. But again, we've talked about this before, Adam, if you had a choice right now between Kadarius, Tony and the seventh pick in the draft or Rashawn Slater, which do you prefer if you had had your way? Because the Giants could have had what looks to be a potential all pro offensive tackle if they would have just stood pat last year. Oh, well, yeah, no, of course. Right. And that's the difference. So that's why offensive linemen to me is different when you have those known commodities. We talked about that last year, what it feels like a disaster, even though we were so excited about Kadarius Tony. You don't forget what you could have been doing at that top there. I don't know, though, right? Because, again, this is where it comes down to Sauce Gardner or or an edge rusher of need. Is Mafa going to be there at the top end at 36 in the second round? Well, that's a very strong edge rusher that you could bring in and feel like we're still going to have a real weapon on the defensive side. Is Sauce Gardner so hands down above the other options that you could have in the draft, like Petrie at the top of the second round at the cornerback spot, right? If he is, if you feel like he's leaps and bounds ahead of those guys, then it's viable to take them. But if you think there are real options, and this isn't unlike Gettleman and saying, ah, in the fifth round, I can get an offensive lineman and feel great about it. No, it's got to be first, second, and third rounds. Where do you have your hierarchy of positional needs? And where do you think you can really go and attack them? And the difference probably is if you don't believe that Sauce Gardner is this unique or if you don't believe that Walker is this unique piece or one of them isn't there, if Gardner's not there, trading down then does give you the flexibility to go and target the guys that you want. The interesting scenario is remember last year when the giants did trade back at the top of the second and still got themselves as Aziz Ojolari, right? Like that was one that seemed like it really worked out for big blue in that instance, where maybe the first round you disagree with it's, it's interesting. And as we've walked through so many of these prospects, I, I think you do have to live in the, in this reality of while the board may list one to 32, as far as where these guys should go, it doesn't mean that 32 going at 21 is some type of travesty, right? Like the talent margin here is a lot closer than the digit next to the name, I think. And that's probably the difference here. The, the curiosity for me is where is Sauce Gardner really in the true spectrum of the cornerback class here? Is he worthy of that? Because there's other guys around him too. We and the Giants fan base just seem to feel like Gardner is the clear-cut guy that we want. But there's two or three other, or other corners in the top 15 of a lot of these mocks. So how, how can I say that we need to go take him at seven if there could be multiple other guys that are as good potentially as Gardner? Adam, I just need to, to, to correct you on one thing there. You talked about Dave Gettleman saying that he could go get a guard in the fifth round. You know, like last year in the draft when we were desperate for any offensive lineman. And uh -huh. do you remember how many Dave Gettleman drafted? There's like just seven or eight, I think, right? Oh, it's yeah. I think it was. Oh, we only had six draft picks, I think. And he drafted. Oh, part. yeah. Oh, wait. Zero offensive linemen. So not even Gettleman is thinking that he could get him in the fifth round. He's like, ah, I got one offensive lineman over the last five years. Should be Shane good to Lemieux go at this point. Referring to two yes, years Shane from, Lemieux yes. a couple years ago. But yes, he, he completely did that. I listen. There is a ton of talent. It does feel like Sauce Gardner is a step ahead of everyone else at his position. So you do, do get that positional value. What I think is going to be fascinating is the latest rumors. And this is when the rumor mill kicks up. Who knows if it's true or not. Malik Willis is getting a lot of love to the Detroit lions potentially in, in that, in that spot there. There's a lot of talk about Kyle Hamilton being in a position. Maybe even the jets would, would go up and get him. 
for the Giants, if a guy like Malik Willis or Kyle Hamilton starts catapulting into those top four picks, Adam, you're talking about the Giants being able to then be in the discussion for Aiden Hutchinson. You're talking about them being potentially in on Neil or Aquanu, as we said, Kayvon Thibodeau, even though he mm-hmm. keeps falling because of his quote-unquote character concerns. The Giants could be sitting there and get two top-flight talented players, and maybe all of a sudden they don't have to draft back to get more capital because – what if Evan Neal and Sauce Gardner all of a sudden fall to them, right? Like there could be a scenario where this happens for the Giants. You're like, this is this is just too good to be true. No, 100%. And that's what's so funny about it. It's like in one breath, I can tell you this is why they need to be trading back unless, and just to, because I am a king of multitasking, ran a mock draft in the background while we were doing this conversation. And it was Neal at five. Stayed at home at seven. Gardner is there. Stayed at home at 36, where Mafo was there for them at 67. Channing Tindall, the the linebacker out of Georgia, real value on the defensive side. Grab Nick Cross, the speed 4-3-4 safety out of Maryland, and then picked up an offensive weapon in Christian Watson at 112. In terms of just, you know, those are the first four rounds, adding value on both sides of the ball and not making any moves. The question in these scenarios is, are those five players that I listed, are those better, to your point, right? Would you rather have Slater or the seventh overall pick and having Kadarius Tony, it'll be the same thing. Would you rather these handful of players or would you rather one less now and maybe two more opportunities in next year's draft class? And it'll be interesting because based on what happens at five and seven, Andy, with that's how you compare with Kadarius Tony, because it's now going to be, would you rather have Rashawn Slater or would you rather have Sauce Gardner and Kadarius Tony or Neil and Kadarius Tony, right? And that's going to be the comp that we won't have the answer for maybe for another season. Well, Adam, At the end of the day, there is one key point that we both can agree on no matter what direction it is. Oh, let's say. It is, thank goodness, Joe Shane and not Dave Gettleman is responsible for making that decision this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think about it. You you could you could have him draft another running back. You know, Kenneth Walker could go seven and he could look to flip, you know, Saquon for a seventh round pick. And we could be in that scenario all over again. I'm Instead, you you know, like like I'm all of a sudden you to be like, listen, I learned from my mistakes, guys. We're trading Saquon for a fourth round pick, and we're gonna clean this thing up with Kenneth Walker, seventh overall. I said I wasn't gonna do it at two. This is five old picks later, guys. I, and this is my second gold jacket. I'm just redoing it. Like I've got it this time. Don't worry, this trust me. No, in in Joe Shane, we trust, as we've talked about all off season, Adam. He's making calculated moves with limited cap space. This is his first draft. There are plenty of holes to fill. And the good thing about having plenty of holes to fill is the Giants have a couple of these high picks and will have instant impact type of players at the top of the draft. You better believe it, man. There are, as we say, a lot of different opportunities here for the New York football Giants. Still a long way to go. Free agency is going to continue to progress here. Different moves are going to happen around the league that could impact how pursued James Bradbury could be how pursued Saquon Barkley would be. So there's still a lot of time here over a month before the draft is going to be here when the giants will really start to make big, important franchise decisions. It'll just be interesting, man, because there are, and I say a lot of a viable offensive line prospects, one in particular that I'll tease you for tomorrow's episode that I'm starting to get my eye on. He's a convert from another position. That's your hint. Talk about a trade down scenario tomorrow and how the Giants could still address all of their key needs and maybe add extra offensive weapons like the running back position. Follow us over on YouTube. Get the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. Hit the like button. Some people have been saying that in the comments. I should be saying it. hit the like button if you're subscribing already. And then 
in the meantime, as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and nay, demand the fine people know. As always, let's go big blue. 